Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, my dark valentines. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Love spans a range of different emotions, mental states, and dimensions. But when we love too deeply, or our love is not reciprocated, it can be devastating. What once brought joy can turn into a deep hole of despair and revenge, and no one will be able to escape the wrath of someone's bloody valentine. First, True love lasts forever, followed by sins of the father paid. Then, a date with hell. Finally, in our featured story, a bloody wedding day. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, wanna hear something scary? My Bloody Valentine. Grief can cause us to make unusual decisions. Sometimes we take drastic measures to preserve a loved one's memories, as in this story written by Janine. Austin lay sobbing, his wife Rhonda's body in his arms. She'd been too young to die. An illness had taken her from him, her body riddled with disease. Now that she was finally gone, he had already prepared the workspace. She was much larger than he was used to. Even though the disease had shriveled her, made her skin and bone, she still took up the entire table. Thank goodness he was well-practiced. He went about his business with expert precision. He wanted to ensure each step was perfect. It took far longer than his usual subjects, and he worked long into the night. As exhaustion threatened to overtake him, he was done. That night, Austin slept like the dead. The following morning, his wife's best friend, Latika, knocked at the door. 
She'd come as she did every few days to see how Rhonda was doing and how Austin was holding up. She was expecting the worst, knowing how unwell her friend had been. So she was most surprised to see a tired and disheveled but grinning Austin open the door. Come in, he called enthusiastically, ushering her into the kitchen. I've just made coffee. Help yourself. Rhonda will be down in a moment. I'll just go and help her. He was speaking too quickly. Latika was perplexed. She'd seen Rhonda just three days ago, and it looked as if the woman would never be able to sit up again, let alone leave her bed and join them in the kitchen. As she poured herself a mug of coffee, she heard some creaking and banging from upstairs, followed by a series of thuds. It sounded like something was being dragged down the stairs. A flash caught her eye to the backyard and she stared out of the window. Ew. It was just more of Austin's weird taxidermy projects being aired out outside. A mountain lion and also some sort of patched up roadkill she couldn't even identify. Even though he'd been doing it for years, she'd never gotten used to the sight of stuffed dead things in and around the house. She sniffed the air, scrunching her nose at the sudden stench. It must have wafted through the window, probably from the patchwork roadkill monstrosity in the backyard. She heard shuffling, heavy breathing, and Austin's voice from the hallway. There we go, my love, just a few more steps. Turning around to greet her friend, Latika froze in shock. Before her stood Austin, supporting Rhonda, or rather, what was left of Rhonda. Instead of her best friend, she saw some sort of Frankenstein's monster. It looked like some kind of creepy old doll. Its face was too taunt, like the skin had been stretched. The makeup looked thick, like it had been plastered on, and there was something wrong with the eyes. Even though Rhonda was dressed, Latika could see what looked like stitches on the top of her neck. The body was stiff, limbs rigid, and she could see Austin making it move like some macabre marionette. She gasped. This thing next to Austin had been her best friend, the friend she'd known since college, the friend who'd been sick these past few months and had been wasting away in front of them. She could only speculate, could only hope that Rhonda must have died in the short time between her last visit and now, and that Austin, sick with grief, had somehow decided to use his taxidermy skills to turn his wife into a stuffed trophy. She tried to speak, but the words were stuck in her throat. The stench she now realized was coming from Rhonda, threatening to overpower her, she began to inch backwards when a sudden movement by Austin made her freeze. Too late, she registered the baseball bat in his hand swinging towards her. As she fell to the floor, lights flashing, blinding pain in her skull, just before the world faded to black, she heard Austin say, There you go, my darling. I told you you'd never be lonely. Now you will have your best friend with you forever, too. Thank you so much, Janine, for writing this story for us. Listener, how far would you go to keep a loved one by your side? 
Do you have any dear friends with unusual hobbies? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you're young and in love, a breakup can seem like the end of the world. But quickly, you'll learn there are fates much worse than heartbreak. Like in this story inspired by Perla. It was May 15th, and the 2022 graduating class of Westport High School was partying it up after all the caps had been thrown and pictures had been taken. Maze Miller and her boyfriend Jace were voted most likely to get married, but with future colleges on opposite coasts, they both agreed that they would see other people once the fall semester started. And because of this, Mays found herself partying way harder than she should, despite all of Jace's pleas for her to slow down. After a trip to the bathroom, where she got sick more than once, Jace thought it was time to take her home. As she slumped outside on the curb, Jace ran in to collect her purse and jacket. Mays sat there, head spinning, and all she could think about was how lonely college would be without any of her friends and how losing Jace would be the hardest part. She decided she'd tell him that she didn't want to see other people. Feeling dizzy again, she noticed Jace's strong hands lift her up and help her to her car. She slid into the passenger seat and off they went. She was about to tell him how she was feeling when her phone rang. Her sight was too blurry to read the caller ID. The voice on the other end only came through as a whisper at first. Mays kept asking them to speak up. Then finally, the voice on the phone said, Maze, where are you? This threw her for a loop because it sounded exactly like Jace. What do you mean? I'm with you in the car, she slurred. That's not me. Get out of the car, he shouted. Nothing could scare Maze faster than the urgency she heard in his voice. She tried to focus and looked to her left at the driver. Now, she saw there was a dark hoodie covering his face. She asked him to pull over. No response. She screamed, You're not Jace, and hit the OnStar emergency button in the car. Suddenly, the hooded man veered over and came to an immediate stop. She kept hitting the button, but nothing was happening. Slowly, the man removed his hood. He was badly burned with scars all over his face and likely his whole body. His eyes had nothing behind them, 
They were vacant, lifeless, soulless. Maze reached for the door, but it was locked. He grabbed her and threw her against the passenger window repeatedly until it cracked, leaving her semi-unconscious. Then, from a large cup in the console, he began to cover her with gasoline. She knew what was happening, but couldn't move. He then tightened her seatbelt around her. He opened his door, got out, and lit a match against a matchbook. He said to her, Class of 1999 was a blast. Right before throwing the match into the car and watching Mays slowly burn alive. Hours later, as investigators combed through the scene, they didn't have much to go on except the call that Jace said he had made. As they stood over the burned husk over the ashes, they learned a call from OnStar had come in. They had a recording of the entire event. When they heard the killer say, class of 1999, they knew exactly who it was. In the summer of 99, five friends were drinking and driving after their graduation. There was a car accident, and only one kid in the middle seat in the back had his seatbelt on. His name was Marcus Randalls. The other four teens were able to exit the vehicle quickly, but couldn't get Marcus out in time. Aaron Miller was the one driving that night. If it weren't for Aaron swerving into traffic, Marcus would still be alive. And it didn't take long for the investigators to realize that Aaron Miller was Maze Miller's father. The detectives couldn't help but wonder who the killer could possibly be, if not Marcus. And if his revenge was complete, or if there would be more victims about to face justice for the sins of their fathers. Thank you so much, Perla, for inspiring this revenge tale for us. So listeners, how long would you wait for revenge? 20 plus years? Is it possible Marcus could have survived? Or was it some sort of entity, perhaps his ghost, who had been waiting around for the perfect time for revenge. In this case, revenge is a dish best served cold-hearted. When you get a bad vibe from someone, you should trust that instinct. The more you ignore your gut, the deeper the trouble you could end up in. Like in this story, inspired by Dorothy. Michaela's friends have been pressuring her to ask someone to the Valentine's Day dance. They all had dates and didn't want her being left alone while they paired up. But out of the entire senior class, there were only three other single people she really vibed with that were still available. Darren, who would likely be suspended for bad behavior before the actual event, as it was a monthly occurrence. Jerrica, who was so addicted to social media, she'd likely never get off her phone to dance. And lastly, Theon. He came off as shy, but had a really fun sense of humor, who had just moved to town two months ago. With only those options, it seemed an easy choice. After lunch, Michaela approached Theon. His head was buried in his locker, and it looked like he was talking to someone in it although obviously no one was there. 
When she tapped his shoulder, he jumped, quickly slamming his locker for privacy. She was immediately put off. Maybe she'd be better off staying home. Regretting her decision, she turned to leave, but stopped when he grabbed her shoulder. She felt an immediate chill down her spine. But when she looked at him, he smiled. It was a good smile. It seemed as though he was happy to talk, almost weirdly like he'd been waiting for her. Once they began their chat, any negative energy faded. Michaela presented her Valentine's Dance dilemma and Theon happily agreed to be her date and to get a haircut, a win-win. The night of the dance went awesomely. Theon was still fairly reserved when they first arrived, but wow, could he dance. He even delivered a few one-liners that had the group belly laughing. Despite her earlier misgivings in the hallway, Michaela was starting to wonder if this thing between the two of them could even go beyond tonight. There was more to him than met the eye. As the dance grew to a close, Theon grabbed Michaela's hand and asked if she wanted to go back to his house, perhaps watch a movie. Michaela was game. She was beginning to like this new Theon. The pair walked into Theon's entryway, the living room and kitchen looking sparse, even for a family new to the area. Where are your parents? She asked, looking around. Out of town, he answered, before excusing himself to use the restroom. Michaela walked around trying to figure out more about her mystery date and found a bookshelf with a stack of wrinkled up scrolls. They were half open and the script was very faded. She investigated further. On each of them, written in a dark ink, was a list. On one, it said, a gallon of black gold, a mineral of April, a used livestock hook and one dozen shells of the oyster. Quite possibly the most unusual shopping list ever, but as she opened and skimmed some of the rest, the more gruesome they became. The jawbone of a senior, the femur of a young male, and the brain of an infant. Chills went up Michaela's spine, but it was the last scroll that was proof it was time for her to leave. It read, three liters of fresh teenage blood. It was also the only one that didn't have a check mark next to it. As she turned to sneak out, Theon was standing at the door, latching it shut. His eyes had turned black, his face drawn tight and yet somehow ghostly. I'm so sorry, but I have to give it what it wants, he said through gritted teeth. The lights powered off. Within seconds, Michaela was pinned to the ground, unable to stop Theon's knife from slicing into both of her wrists. She screamed out in pain as the blood began to drain from her body onto the floor. Something else then entered the room, lit by the outside streetlights. It had neon green eyes set against an enormous black silhouette. She managed one last question. Why? Theon cast his eyes down as he shakily answered. Long ago, I was being murdered, but at death's door with my last breath, I made a revenge pact with a passing demon. It slayed my killer and gave me life, but I have to keep it fed or it will feed on me. 
Crying and gasping, Michaela looked at the creature and whispered, I make you the same deal. Theon leaped forward. He tried to yell no, but couldn't answer because the demonic creature laughed as it ripped out his jugular. It lapped up the last of Theon's spurting blood, then looked over at Michaela. Her wounds immediately healed as the multiple scrolls floated across the room, landing in her lap. All of the check marks had been erased, waiting for new notations as materials were again collected by its newest servant. Nodding and indicating it was done for now, it then retreated to the back of the house as Michaela sat blankly staring and shaking at the horrific checklist before her. Oh God, what have I done? Thank you so much, Dorothy, for inspiring this tale for us. Have you ever noticed someone you know talking to themselves? Who do you think could be talking back to them? And if you'd been in the same situation as Michaela, what would you have done? The Nicaraguan legend of La Novia de Tola warns of what could happen if the sacrament of marriage is not taken seriously. Both parties must be present and ready for the ceremony, or there will be deadly consequences. Ilaria was a God-fearing young woman from a strict Catholic family. She was to be wed to Salvador Cruz. Salvador had a reckless past with a penchant for tequila and the ladies. But now he went to church and had become the honest and caring man Eladia had prayed for. But old habits die hard. The night before the wedding, Salvador decided to visit his ex-girlfriend, Juana. While their relationship had been volatile and not good for either of them, the desire had not diminished. Juana plied him with his favorite tequila, and Salvador chose to momentarily forget Eladia. Salvador, selfish fool that he was, thought of this as closure and he'd still enjoy his wedding in the morning. The next day, the bells rang out, but as the church doors opened, Eladia stood at the entrance, her father by her side, but the groom was nowhere to be found. Eladia looked around frantically, asking for Salvador. Then the whisper started for everyone else knew exactly where he was. Humiliated, embarrassed for being lied to and cheated on and for not honoring the sanctity of the church, Hilaria wasn't thinking clearly. She ran up the stairs toward the bell tower as fast as she could. At the highest point of the church, she looked up to the heavens and said, forgive me, Father, for what I'm about to do. She closed her eyes and leapt to the ground, her neck snapping instantly. The wedding attendant stared in disbelief. The coroner came to remove the body and the priest tried to calm the parishioners. Two hours after the wedding, a taxi sped up to the church. Salvador stumbled out, reeking of booze. He straightened his tie and slicked back his hair, trying to cover his sins. When he saw the coroner loading the body bag into the van, Salvador knew. The crowd turned on him, 
chasing him out of town and he wasn't seen again for months. Until one day, Salvador started showing up at church again. Sober and looking to repent, the community forgave him. He even began volunteering at the church, staying to clean up after services. One evening, alone in the church, he saw a woman in white pass by. He turned to ask if she was okay, but she was gone. Just as he was about to lock up, he heard a noise by the stairs. Glancing over, he saw white fabric floating up the stairway. He followed. The white fabric continued up to the roof near the bell, but there was no one there. All he could see was a white wedding veil lying over the edge about to blow off. He ran up to it, snatching the lacy material. As he turned to head back downstairs, there she stood, the ghost of Eladia. Her neck snapped to the side, but she had become something else. The betrayal and grief of being left at the altar had created a vengeful spirit, La Novia da Tola. Before he could speak, she flew over, lifting him a foot off the ground. Floating in midair, she whispered, Forgive me, Father, for what I'm about to do. She threw him over the ledge. His body fell, just as Hilarius had. Except he didn't die instantly. He lay there, face down, writhing in pain. His legs broken, his arms shattered. Screaming in anguish, he felt Eladia hovering above him. He begged for her forgiveness. Eladia stomped on him, shattering the bones from his legs to his ribs to his pelvis. She rolled him over, looking him in the eye as he groaned. And with one final stomp, his face collapsed. The final breath left his body. By the time the townspeople found him, they mourned that Salvador's grief and regret had led him to commit suicide in the very place Eladia had. Because what should they believe otherwise? La Novia's legend led to statues and the Nicaraguan saying, left waiting like the bride from Tola. Hell hath no fury like a ghost scorned. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Marquia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.